Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About You episode. If you're new around here, welcome. Every other episode is all about you, some of your reactions, your experiences with audiology, and this week, an incredible interview with an audiologist who is also a cochlear implant user. Her name is Dr. Samantha McKinney, and she is also a pediatric cochlear implant audiologist who herself has gotten a cochlear implant a few years ago, and she's going to tell us her story, which is just so interesting, inspiring, and specifically fascinating because she knows both sides of everything that's going on, both from the patient perspective and from the audiologist's perspective. You can see so many of her great blog posts and tips and information at ucicanhearnow.com. Last week, we heard from Dr. Lindsay Cockburn, and we were discussing about cochlear implants. Do they work? What are all the factors involved? And I thought it would be super, super interesting to bring Dr. Samantha McKinney in to hear her perspective on cochlear implants and to give us that unique perspective that she has. Before I play you that interview, I do want to remind you to visit allaboutaudiology.com slash hope to learn more about the Hope Beyond Hearing program, which is the consulting and support service that I offer to parents of children with hearing loss. You do not have to do this alone. There is support and information and resources out there. Lots of lots of things like this podcast and so many wonderful people putting out information and blogs. And my program is something unique in that it really integrates between the audiology information and your own mental health, your own ability to cope with the difficulty of the news of a diagnosis. And so that's something that I'm really very passionate about, that if you're struggling, if this is something that's really bigger than you, I do want to offer my support and my services to you. So you can visit allaboutaudiology.com slash hope to learn more. And right now we're going to listen and learn about Dr. Samantha. I'm so excited to have you here on the All About Audiology podcast. This is Dr. Samantha McKinney from Northern California. And the reason I'm so excited to be speaking with you is because, number one, I love following you on Instagram and learning so much from your blog posts and from all of the things that you share. And you have a very unique perspective as both an audiologist and as a patient. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and anything you want to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me on here. Um, I'm excited to just talk with you today. I guess I can just kind of tell my story a little bit. So I was not identified with hearing loss until just over a year old. Um, I guess my mom was a little suspicious that I wasn't responding and not talking. So she went to the pediatrician and they said, oh no, she's fine big sisters talking for her. So she thought, mm. okay, well, I'll just keep going. And she still had her suspicions. And then she said there was one time that my back was turned to her and she was calling my name. And then she got closer and closer and got right up behind me and said, Samantha. And I freaked out because I had just seen her and didn't realize that she was right behind me. So then she knew, you know, mother's intuition, gut feeling, something's not right. 
So finally got a referral to um, an audiologist and they identified me with severe sensory neural hearing loss and I was fit with hearing aids pretty quickly after that. So that was probably about 18 months old. And then we were sent to a total communication program, which is um, learning both uh, sign language and spoken language, but they use mostly sign exact English. So what I was saying was what I was signing as well. Um, So it's a little bit different from American sign language. So I did that from 18 months to about four, And then in the same school, I was then put into a mainstream program, but still in the same school. So I still had my same speech therapist, and then I still had my same uh, teachers nearby. And this was in two cities away from where we lived. So I had to essentially ride a bus to school every day at 18 months old. So I can't imagine what my mom was thinking when, or my dad, when they had to drop me off to the bus and off I went to school and came back home and got dropped off. So I was there for five years, six years, actually, um, no five, sorry. And then, then I was able to go to a mainstream school in my hometown and that was in second grade. And I had preferential seating in the classroom. I did not use an FM system until I think third grade but back then it was um, this giant beige looking device and I had to wear the T-coil loop. (laughs) So it was a lot of stuff on me and I wasn't too happy about it. Um, So whenever my older kids are a little hesitant to want to wear FM systems or anything that adds to what they already have, I totally understand um, what they're going through. But I also know the benefits of using an FM system because I do realize that I probably missed out on a lot and I had to work a lot harder to do well in school. Whereas if I had just used the FM, I probably would have been, things would have been a little bit easier for me. Can you talk a little about your speech development? After you got the hearing aids, what was it like those first couple of years? Yeah, so I asked my mom that too, and she said that as soon as I got the hearing aids on, my speech took off. She said it was like a switch. You just, you know, you were in the right program and you could hear and you took off right from then on. I had speech therapy until sixth grade. I felt like I didn't really need to go to speech therapy going into middle school, but I knew that it was there if I ever needed it. At that age, you're not wanting to be <laughs> involved in speech therapy anymore and being pulled out of your class. And so a lot of people actually ask me about my speech and, wow, your speech is really good. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the type of hearing loss that I have. It's pretty flat and it actually rises in the highs. So mm. I'm actually able to hear those S, SH. T sounds, those high frequency consonant sounds that a lot of deaf people tend to not have sounds there or responses there. You know, I wonder if because your name is Samantha, you really needed both the S and the TH. That is true. You had to get those ones right. (laughs) That is very true. Actually, I do vividly remember having to make the S sound on the back of my hand (laughs) so that I knew I was you know, putting air out and making the correct sounds. Yeah, you're exactly right. 
Samantha is literally all those high frequency conferences. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect name. So then what happened in sixth grade, going in middle school and high school? I just want to know your whole life story. That's all. I know. (laughs) High school, I feel like was pretty normal for me. I played sports. Actually, I played soccer pretty much from five up until high school. And then in middle school, I got into softball and then I got into volleyball. So I was definitely involved. My mom was very good at teaching me to be my own advocate. You know, she would say, if there's something you missed on the bulletin, it's your responsibility to go figure out what you missed. You know, she was definitely encouraging me to look out for myself. And then just kind of being open to people who were constantly asking me, what's that thing in your ear? And, you know, nobody wants that attention, but I always teach my kids, my patients, people don't know what they don't know. So they're just out of curiosity asking, what is that in your ear? But it just comes out sometimes a little not so nice, but really they just want to know what is that in your ears? Why do you have to wear those? And I always say, just answer their question and move on. You know, why do I wear glasses? Because I can't see. Why do I wear hearing aids? Because I can't hear and they help me hear. And then just move on. Sounds like your mom really did an amazing thing for you. I just keep hearing the same, like there's a theme across many people that I speak to where you say, how was it growing up? And then they go, well, my mom. <laughs> yeah. My mom. Yeah. My dad is good too, but I, I definitely. Superstar parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And she definitely, you know, went to all the IEP meetings and made sure that I had everything I needed. Um, but also pushed me to get out there and always treated me like a normal child, you know, that I didn't necessarily have a hearing loss it seemed like you know it was just doing the best that she could with what she knew and um, which you know now I feel like with Instagram you know all the social media there's so many resources for these families now and it's so good to have because they're introduced with this new information about their new baby and they don't know what to do next they go on social media hashtag hearing loss or Google, my child has a hearing loss. And there's so many different resources that come up to help them through this. So yeah, it's great. So when you finished high school, what were your plans after, after you finished school? Um, high school, I was probably about an average student, um, A's and B's, maybe a couple of C's if I slacked off a little bit. Um, but it was hard. I wasn't using an FM system and I was working really hard to stay on top of things and playing sports. So it was definitely, yeah. So I had decided that I was going to do community college and then transfer somewhere. Um, I had just kind of felt like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And it didn't have a whole lot of information about college. Not a lot of people in my family went to college straight out of high school. So It was kind of a new thing for all of us, and I wasn't sure. I think the pressure of having to take the um, The SAT. SAT, thank you. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, just the pressure of having to apply for scholarships and what school am I going to go to is just too much, whereas I knew I'm going to start with community college. It's cheaper. I'm going to figure out what I want to do and then go from there. So I thought I wanted to be 
interior decorator. And then I realized, no, I don't have the touch for that. Um, and then I thought I wanted to be an accountant. So I took some classes and then I was, no, I don't want to do that. And then I got into child development classes and then I realized, oh, I think I want to work with children. So then I had to think, you know, what kinds of things could I get into? And when you have a hearing loss, um, you do tend to limit yourself in what you think you can do. You may struggle on the telephone. You may struggle talking to people. So when you think about jobs, you're kind of wondering, can I do that? That looks like it requires a lot of talking on the phone or just things that are a little bit harder. So I did go through that kind of self-doubt in a way. Um, But then I kind of thought, well, what about being a teacher of the deaf? Kind of like what I went through when I was little. Um, I can be one of those teachers. And so I ended up looking into what schools had those kinds of programs and then went to go tour the John Tracy Clinic in Los Angeles. And that was very eye-opening for me. So John Tracy Clinic is um, an auditory oral school for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I went there and they showed me the classrooms and all the kids and I thought it was very cute. There was a lot of them. (laughs) And so then we walked around to the rest of the clinic or the school and then walked into the audiology clinic portion. And they said, hey, this is so-and-so the audiologist. And so her and I got to talking and something just lit up inside me. It was kind of that moment of this is what I want to do. And so I knew from then on, I want to do pediatric audiology. Yeah. So um, I don't know. It just lit a fire in me. And I thought, okay, if there's something I can do, is there something that tells me I can't do this? And so I went back to my audiologist and asked him, you know, hey, I think I'm interested in audiology. And, you know, he said, (laughs) he actually said, oh, it's going to be a lot of math and a lot of science. And I kind of thought, okay, so... (laughs) So then I looked into the programs and applied uh, to San Diego State's Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences. And I also applied to uh, Cal State Northridge's program there as well. So I ended up going to San Diego State and transferring there and finishing up college down in San Diego. So you had gone to audiology booths and done tons of testing all throughout your childhood And so you always had a relationship with an audiologist. You knew about the testing or familiar with the booths. Did it ever occur to you before that, that that could be a possible choice, like in healthcare or working with kids? Or was only at that point when you were in your college years? No, I don't think it ever did occur to me because I think when you go to the audiologists or the doctors for a condition that you have, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that as a kid you really look into because sometimes it's kind of a dreaded appointment. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you kind of look at those things and don't even consider them because that's something that you had to deal with growing up. Um, I don't think it was until I kind of had to work through the process of, I want to work with kids with hearing loss teacher of the deaf, speech therapist, audiology. Um, I knew right away, speech therapist, 
speech therapy was not for me. Um, <laughs> and then the teacher of the deaf was definitely a consideration, but I kind of felt I was a little bit more drawn to the technical side of things. Um, I was always doing that kind of stuff with my dad. So I thought, okay, I think I really like the idea of actually getting to work with the hearing aids and other devices. I didn't even know about cochlear implants at that point. That's awesome. I think it also gives you a huge leg up with every patient that you see because you remember being that kid. Like this is not a fun day necessarily. And they keep asking me to do this game over and over again, or, you know, these lights, they're getting boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that, you know, you really have a different view than lots of other audiologists. Yeah. So whenever I meet a new patient um, or a new family, I usually wear my hair down. And so you can't see my hearing aid or my cochlear implant 99% of the time. So it's often used as a tool for me, honestly. So I meet the family, I do the hearing test, I tell them the diagnosis, and I kind of walk them through that. If I feel like the family is struggling with the idea of their child having hearing loss, a lot of parents usually think of their future. Will my child be successful? Um, and so when I feel like they're missing that, I usually pull that out and say, hey, just so you know, I also have a hearing loss myself. I have a hearing aid and a cochlear implant and I'm a doctor, you know, so it just kind of gives them that little glimpse of hope of, okay, yeah. I still need to work through this, but there is hope that it's going to be okay. That's amazing. It's a nice yeah. tool to have. <laughs> <laughs> Very hard one tool, but yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a cochlear implant in one year. What was that whole story about? When did that happen? Um, so that story is actually kind of a funny one. So as I had said, for your graduate school, you do three years of academic coursework. And then in your fourth year, you extern at a clinic for a year. So when I got to, I ended up going to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and my mentor advisor Dr. Showblad, she actually has a cochlear implant herself as well. So we met on our first day and she's making sure that I have all my, you know, schedule set up and everything that I need. And then she out of nowhere just asked, what do you think about getting a cochlear implant? And I kind of took a step back and I was nowhere ready for that, nor did I think I needed one. I was a little bit put off by that. Um, but I knew she meant well. So then I start taking more and more courses and I'm meeting more of the professors. Well, then I meet <laughs> Dr. Holly Teagle, who is or was the um, director of the pediatric cochlear implant program there. And she also taught our cochlear implant classes. So I'm doing my clinical rotation with her. And she also asked out of nowhere, <laughs> when are you going to get an implant? And instead of, have you thought about it? Or do you know about it? They're just straight in there. When are you getting one? Mm. <laughs> so I think it was then that it kind of opened the door to, okay, so these other people are seeing and expressing that I could benefit from a cochlear implant. Why is that? Let me figure out why. And 
I definitely knew that I was working really hard to hear, read lips, take down new information, write it down. I had note takers. I had some of the classes recorded. I had all the resources that I could use. I was using an FM system as well. And so I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to be working in a clinic where I'm meeting a new person every hour and with hearing loss, when you meet someone new, it's very hard to really hear them because you're not used to hearing their voice. Familiarity is a real thing. Once, you know, if I talk to my mom or my dad and they mumble something, I know what they said because I know their mannerisms, but somebody new, it's a lot more work to, okay, let me read their lips, look at them and really listen to them. Mm -hmm. But in audiology, you have to be able to multitask. (laughs) So I need to be able to fix this hearing aid while you're telling me a problem that happened at school that I need to know about. And then I need to be able to write notes about it. And so I kind of realized, okay, this is something that I'm going to have to consider. Maybe I'll consider it when I have kids. Who knows when that's going to be, right? So that was probably my third year of grad school. And then in my fourth year, I came back to Los Angeles and did my externship at House Research Institute with the Care Center, which is a pediatric cochlear implant program. We were very busy, you know, working. And then unfortunately, things went down there and we all got picked up and brought over to USC to start a new pediatric clinic there. So there was a lot of downtime because we didn't have any patients. So they were kind of just trickling in from word of mouth, like, hey, all of of your audiologists are now over at USC. So with that downtime, we... There's another fourth year that was with me and we both were kind of talking about, hey, we should do a cochlear implant evaluation on you just Hmm. to see. Mm -hmm. So we did, we did both ears and my left ear has always been the poor ear. Um, My right ear is about 60 something percent word recognition score. Left ear has always been 20, 22%. So there's always been a difference of hearing We took this evaluation and Stacy, the other extern, presented. So we always had meetings every Wednesday to go over cochlear implant candidates and decide whether they're a candidate or not based on what you tell them. So Stacy presented a potential candidate, uh, said we have a 28-year-old with severe hearing loss, sensorineural, bilateral, has worn hearing aids pretty much since, you know, birth does well, but definitely struggles to hear. So all of the audiologists are kind of thinking to themselves, why are we seeing a 28 year old? (laughs) So then they kind of thought about it and then didn't really say anything and said, well, yeah, it sounds like the left ear would be good, but why are we seeing a 28 year old? So her and I started laughing and she says, well, it's actually Samantha's cochlear implant evaluation. So everybody started laughing and then they said, yeah, you definitely should consider an implant for that year. Um, So I kind of took the next steps from there, met with the surgeon, Dr. Naparco, and he said, yep, everything looks good. How about surgery next Friday? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's expedited right there. (laughs) I had that same reaction. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay. And he says, there's no time like the present. 
I said, yeah, you're not wrong. All right, let's do it. So a week later I had surgery. But also, you know, you're not the typical patient who says, what's a cochlea? What are you talking about? Like you had had all this, all all this uh, first hand experience with hearing loss first for your whole life. And then all this audiological training from essentially almost finishing the doctoral degree. So you weren't a typical patient in that sense for not knowing what's going on, but that is quick. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely had questions for him, but they were more, how many surgeries have you done? What's your success rate? Just like everybody else. Like I just wanted to make sure he was the person to drill into my head and make sure that I was going to be okay. (laughs) So, and I had my mom there, so she had lots of questions as well. And so it was good for her to ask her questions. Um, Even though I'm, you know, 28 years old, I still wanted her to be a part of the whole thing. And she definitely was. So that was exactly going to be my question was, what was your family thinking about this new adventure? Even though, like you said, you're the adult, but they didn't quite know what cochlear implants were, you know, because they're not in school with me. And I had talked to them about it and I had shared stories about my experience with kids getting activated because those are always the fun stories to share about what happened with my kid today and, you know, how did they react to the new sounds? You know, you see the YouTube videos. So I think they knew that it was this device that most people have really good success with, but they didn't understand truly how the device works and how it's sending the signal to your brain and all that kind of technical stuff. My mom had a lot of questions about that kind of thing. Whereas I think she just wanted to hear it from another person. So she heard it from me, but it's always nice to hear it from a different person because they maybe have a different way of explaining it. Yeah. So I think she just wanted to kind of know more and understand more about how exactly it works um, because it's hard to grasp the concept of, okay, this electric signal pulses and sends pulses to your nerve, and then your brain has to understand what that is. How do you do that? How, what? <laughs> so, yeah. I remember in my cochlear implant class in the various times when you're studying about this throughout the schooling, where I had this light bulb moment at one point where I realized, all brain activity is electricity. It's just internal, like from your own body. And here you're introducing external electricity. The fact that you even have to understand how nerves work to begin with, to then understand how the cochlear implant works. That was like, I get it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And for someone who's not in the medical field, it's definitely like takes some time to process how you do that. Um, and so even talking to my families who have to consider this for their child, you know, my experience was I got to choose this for me. Mm-hmm. I got to do my research and take my time. I went through school, learned all about it, all the intricate details of it. And I got to experience pediatrics and adults and their experience with cochlear implants. So I have all this knowledge and I still was in that same boat. But I also have to remember when I'm talking to my families who are considering an implant, they're on a deadline. They have to make this decision pretty quickly. They can wait, but we always tell them the longer you wait, the harder it is for them to catch up. 
So that I can't imagine that pressure and I don't, I will never know that pressure. So I, you know, I'm always very cautious to try to read how they're processing, processing all of this and are they ready for this? Cause they do need to be ready. And sometimes they're not, but they just are that type of person that just do the thing and then will be ready kind of thing. So just reading everyone's different. Yeah. And what was the experience like when you woke up from surgery in those couple of weeks before activation? Cause that can be a scary time where if you had some residual hearing and now it's actually gone, that can be scary. Yeah. So the day of surgery, I woke up nervous and we drove down to LA. They got me all ready to go. And I basically just had to wait around until they were ready to take me in. I had the cochlear implant rep there. She was going to be in the OR. We had the regional manager of the cochlear implant company there as well. (laughs) So I had people watching to make sure that it's a little bit of an exception, but just making sure that everything was going to go well um, during Mm -hmm. surgery. After surgery, I woke up. Dr. DeParco was standing there and I don't think I had my hearing aid on. So I kind of just had to wake up and read his lips to see what he was saying. And I think he said, you know, something like, you're okay. You're good to go. Everything went well. And the clock was right behind him. So I looked at the clock and in my head, I knew I went in at a certain time and I knew that I was expected to come out at a certain time. Well, that time was like two hours later than I thought it was going to be. So I immediately, and under anesthesia, you react in different ways. So I started to cry (laughs) and poor Dr. Naparco just kind of, oh no, okay, um, I'm going to go get your mom. And he just runs away. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, okay, I'm going to cry. I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) So he goes and gets my mom. She comes in and I'm kind of, you know, panicking, like, what happened? Why did it take longer? And she said, you're fine. They just had to take their time a little bit. Um, and then I kind of calmed down and I was okay after that. Yeah. I think that just kind of weaving off the anesthesia and then you get home and all you want to do is just go to bed. I probably took about three days to recover. So definitely in bed the first and second day, third day I was up walking around and I was fine. Um, the feeling was, you know, I was taking um, pretty much Advil towards the second day. So it really wasn't that bad. It just kind of felt like if you have your girl, you have your hair in a top bun and someone comes and twists it, it kind of feels like that sensation, just constantly twisting your bun. Interesting. <laughs> oh, that, that's an excellent way to describe it. I don't. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of going through that whole process. And then I had to go back to work with my right ear, which was just wearing the hearing aid, I only get about 60% on that side. So, and then no hearing aid on the other side. Working was a little bit tough because I was having to really work hard to listen and be able to hear people. I had put a hearing aid on the left ear just to see what it would do. They were able to preserve my hearing, but it didn't sound the same. So I didn't really get a whole lot of benefit from wearing a hearing aid in the meantime. And then the, the YouTube star, YouTube sensation, the moment of truth that 
most likely is going to be not that dramatic. <laughs> Tell us about activation. Yeah, three to four weeks later, had my initial activation. That's the nice thing about this whole process is I truly had a huge support group yeah. behind me. I had my entire UNC program streaming in live, watching the initial activation. Uh, no pressure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool to say you're the director of your program hopped on to watch you get your initial activation. Um, so I, I had that. It was awesome. I was so happy that everyone could be a part of it. Um, my family, everyone was streaming this live broadcast. Um, so it was pretty cool. And then I definitely filmed it. I did not have the YouTube crying moment at all. Um, I think because I kind of knew what the expectations were. So I just didn't know what it was going to sound like. So I think for an adult getting activated, your biggest thing is you want it to work. You know, you just want to be able to hear or feel something so that you know that it works. Once I started hearing the first initial beeps, it was actually more of a feeling. And instead of an actual auditory, you know, perception. But that eventually went away because my brain, once again, is trying to figure out what to do with this electric pulse that's now happening. They continued to map me and then they went live, which is where they're turning on the device, kind of started low and then worked their way up. And I was able to hear. I think I was less like, oh my gosh, I was more just kind of taking it in, kept telling my mom, okay, talk to me, say something. <laughs> and it is really high pitched and kind of different patients report, you know, Mickey Mouse or chipmunk sounds. Um, for me, it was just more high pitched and I wasn't able to really make sense of what she was saying yet, but that's okay. I knew it was working and I knew there was going to be a long road ahead and that I was going to need to keep working to build that up to be able to understand speech. So yeah, it was just more interesting. And then I finished there. My mom and I went to lunch and there's so much noise happening that I was, it sounded like a video game. It just kept making like beep, 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 beep. So I thought, okay, this is what it is. Like, all right, low expectations, right? Just got to work for it. So I went back to the clinic and we actually went back in and changed a couple settings and she had me, the audiologist had me read three sentences and she would say the sentence. And because of this little change, I was actually able to hear what she was saying and pick the right sentence. Um, so once I was able to do that, I thought, okay, this is going to be good. That's so incredible. A totally different experience than most people, I think. Like even being able to go back the same day and fine tune, you know, instead of waiting another two weeks and having to deal with all those noises. Yeah, exactly. And then I would, if I had spare time, I would go down to the clinic or to the computer and have the other extern and one of the researchers have a conversation in the room and I would sit there and mess with the parameters <laughs> to see which one would sound better to me. Wow. And yeah, well, they're talking about hiking in California. <laughs> That's incredible. So do you feel like you have like a really good knowledge of your own map? You know, I'm like the worst patient. Um, if you talk to audiologists who have hearing loss, they are the worst patients. 
Um, we never seem to change our tubing in time for our hearing aids. We never seem to, yeah, we're just the worst patients. <laughs> um, how long ago was this? So I got the implant five years ago. So it's been five years. Yeah. And I do remember, obviously I remember initial activation and then I do remember probably about two weeks later, I was hearing more and more words. I thought, wow, I'm doing really well. And then it kind of hits you, oh wait, I can't hear that. Why am I not hearing that? Because you're only two weeks in, you have to be patient. So I definitely had that, Sam, you got to be patient moment of keep working, you'll get there. So it's hard to do, but we tell our patients over and over and over, it's going to take work. It's going to take work. It's going to take time. You know, just as a person, you just want it to work right then and there. And that's not how cochlear implants work. What are some of the things that you did either formally or informally to help you get used to the sounds? Uh, So that was another perk of being in a clinic that works with kids with hearing losses. I had an ABT, an auditory verbal therapist, um, available to happily help me with my oral rehabilitation. Um, and she's great. Um, so after work, she would spend 30 minutes with me to help me build up the skills to be able to hear the difference between bat versus cat. And then even words like read and bead, very hard to hear the differences. And you would take your hearing it out for those sessions? Yeah. So during work hours, I was wearing both devices Um, because that was my daily listening situation. That was going to be how I was going to be able to hear. But during oral rehab, I would take it out. If I was writing reports, I would actually turn off my hearing aid and try to overhear or listen to what other people were saying just outside of my cubicle. But I do remember one day, one of the audiologists who was on the other side of the room said something and I was fully able to understand what she said. That was kind of another good little moment for me as well. That's incredible. When was that? Do you, if you can say like around what time? Definitely like the first um, few months. Yeah. I'm a little bit of an exception. You know, I think, you know what they say, rockstar cochlear implant users. I am one of those. And I think that has to do, or I know it has to do with the amount of hearing loss that I have or had in that left ear. So I still had responses and high pitches. I wore a hearing aid since birth. So all of that stimulation was still there. So it was much easier for me to grasp onto those electric sounds and make sense mm-hmm. of them a lot quicker than somebody who has had longer auditory deprivation um, or just profound hearing loss where there may not have been some nerve stimulation there. Yeah. So to wrap up, If you can tell all of our listeners one thing that you just wish everybody knows about cochlear implants or about audiology or about yourself that, you know, it's just something that you you really wish more people would know. So it's Audiology Awareness Month. And as you know, I'm a pediatric audiologist, but I didn't think that I could be the pediatric audiologist. Um, So my message to anyone out there trying to figure out what they want to do Um, just know that your hearing loss does not hold you back and that you truly can do anything. Sometimes it takes a little bit of work figuring out how to get there. The road will not be easy, but it will be worth it. 
That's amazing. Um, if people want to follow you or learn more about you, where can they find you online? So I have my blog, um, you see, I can hear now. So, and then I have the Instagram account also, you see, I can hear now. So it's Y-O-U-C-I for cochlear implant can hear now. And then I'm also on Twitter as well. Are you on Twitter? I'm not on Twitter. Tell me about Twitter. (laughs) Should I be on Twitter? (laughs) I don't know. I think, you know, with social media, it's kind of just putting your pieces in all different areas and seeing what sticks and there's different professionals on each one. So my Twitter account has more of the um, researchers on there, audiology researchers. Instagram is definitely more for my audience, which is anyone with hearing loss, but mostly parents of children with hearing loss. And I'm trying to provide information, resources, tips and tricks, and then my own personal experience to share and kind of give that hope and just kind of show them that their kid's going to be able to do anything and they're going to be like normal kiddos basically. So, And that's so, so valuable and so appreciated. Thank you for everything you share and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Dr. Samantha McKinney for sharing her story with us and for all of the great work that she's doing. I thank you so much for listening to the podcast and supporting All About Audiology. This is a project that I started out of a big, big passion to get as much information, awareness, and just to talk about these things that you might not hear other people talking about. If you are a parent to a child with a hearing loss, The first time you've ever had to think about hearing loss may have been the moment you had that diagnosis or the time that they failed the hearing screening, quote unquote, failed the hearing screening. Um, This is something that many people have no experience with until they need to. It's also really difficult when you're getting information from lots of different places where you have the doctor saying one thing, the audiologist saying another thing, you read various things in your own research, Facebook groups and other parents and different things that are coming at you. And sometimes it can be hard to parse out what it is that is the right thing to do, but also what's right for you. I do really believe that listening to your own intuition when making decisions is something that we really don't want to lose. We want to be able to listen to our intuition, but to do that, we need to have all the information in place. That's something that I'm extremely passionate about, the Hope Beyond Hearing program, integrating between having all the information that you need and being able to be an empowered and informed person, and at the same time, really, really taking care of yourself and making sure that you're addressing all the feelings, emotions, and difficult challenges and difficult conversations that arise surrounding having a child with a hearing loss. Thank you so, so much for listening. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about auditory verbal therapy. If we haven't touched on the controversies enough, that is a controversial episode. It's very interesting to me to speak with people who are very passionate about their standpoint and have done incredible and amazing things. We're going to be talking with Miss Ayalatal El Matlau, who has brought auditory verbal therapy to Israel. She has twin daughters when they were young. They moved to Israel from Canada and there were no auditory verbal therapy services available in Israel. And she and her husband and other families started together the nonprofit and they brought auditory verbal therapy to Israel 
We're going to be learning from her story. We're going to be learning about auditory verbal therapy. And you will also hear some of my hesitancy with some of the tenets of the philosophy. But I always think it's fascinating to learn from each other and to be open and to make sure that we have information to help each individual child. Thank you again so much for listening. Come back for that next episode, AV Therapy. That's next week. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast. Mm-hmm.